Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Gordon Dean, and this is the Sower's Seat Pod Podcast. Tuning into the Sower Seed Pod podcast. I'm your host, Gordon Dean, and I just came across something that absolutely appalls me. Now, uh, I, I apologize in advance. This is not going to be one of my better researched and sought out uh, topics. I just, I'm, I'm sitting here, you know, kind of picking my nose, and I came across something was actually I came across in, in in preparation for the 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 podcast about uh, you know not everybody is going to be saved when I came across something that I, I literally I kid you not you ever been like reading something and your brain for whatever reason reads the wrong word and it changes the entire meaning of the sentence to something that you know shouldn't be what's written in front of you. So you got to go back and read it a couple of times until your brain realizes where you you read the wrong word, and then you get it squared away, and now it makes sense, right? So I, I came across this article from a group called tentmaker.org, and I kid you not, I, 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 well, first of all, okay, let me, uh, man, I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I'm having a real hard time on where to even start with all of this. So what caught my attention about this is that the, 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 uh, I guess you'd call it a blog post. It's, it's under, I guess, an FAQ section for this tent maker group. That what caught my attention was the opening paragraph, which appears to have been, uh, you know, letter and email, something that was was written to them that reads, "Hi, first of all, I'm an agnostic. I'm not a Christian, but I would love to have a say on your universalist stance. Anyway, the arguments on how hell is Gehenna are quite interesting, but what about the other passages that say that only a few certain people will be saved and not all will be saved?" And he goes on to cite some scripture that, I mean, pretty clearly says that this is not how it works. Uh, he cites Matthew 10:23. Uh, he he cites Mark 16:16. 16, 16, uh, you know, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Uh, cites a few more scriptures. And so then this group comes back with a response, and I, I just, I, I kid you not that I had to read this a couple of times to actually make sure that my brain hadn't missed a couple of key words, because I, I just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I, I literally could not believe what I was reading. And, and here's the thing about this: this post is apparently from like. I don't know, 2008 or something like that. I mean, this is how it is that I had not heard of, of this universalist theory up until now. Just, uh, I wow. I mean, it doesn't surprise me because, again, there's nothing new under the sun, but I'm looking at this going, really? So the guy 
that's writing, you know, that's responding to this this inquiry, writes back, you ask some good questions, questions that are not simplistic, that can be answered with a simple sentence or two, because the entire concept of salvation, as taught by the traditional church, is false. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm reading this going, well, now, wait a minute, what? And we're not even through the first oh, whole paragraph. So we're dealing with more than just the interpretation of a verse or two. We're dealing with an entire theological doctrine in the church, which is false. That is the doctrine of salvation. Now, I have just read to you the first paragraph of this guy's response. And I'm here to tell you, man, the rest of this goes on and reads... I, man, I don't even know where to begin because one of the, let me give you an example. One of the things he's talking about is that you have to look at the entirety of, of the gospel from the perspective of a first century Jew. And the idea of salvation to a first century Jew didn't mean heaven or hell. It meant to be delivered from the wrath to come, which this guy is saying happened in 70 AD. And I can't, I can't even, I mean, it's honest to goodness, if you're going to cite Jewish history and the Jewish faith as the basis for your rejecting the idea of heaven and hell or salvation, as it is clearly outlined in scripture, don't you think you ought to at least ask a Jew? Because no, they don't believe that the final, um, uh, what's the word he used here? The final deliverance of the wrath to come has happened yet because the Messiah hasn't even happened yet, according to them. And so I literally, I kid you not, guys, I had to read this a couple of times because I just, I, I, I could not wrap my head around what on earth this guy was talking about. Because, no, look, I'm going to be the first to admit that, yes, there are, are things in Scripture that are very contextually relevant. My last podcast, I used the example of the leavening in the bread. Uh, I've, I've used the example of when, when Paul writes to the church about putting on the armor of God, he's, he's using uh, descriptors that would conjure up an image that was very specific to the people to whom he had written the letter. I understand that there are certain... I can't even think of the I'm sorry. I this whole thing has me just flummoxed. I'm sorry. There there are certain uh, flavors or or tinges to scripture that are contextually relevant. Okay, so again, you know, if you've never made bread and you don't know how bread is made, you don't understand what leavening is or how it distributes through a bowl of flour. 
It doesn't change the truth of it. It just requires a little bit more explanation because this is not something that you are familiar with. But this guy wants, and, and I can see that he's not alone. He, he wants people to believe that the entirety of the concept of eternal punishment is taken out of context. And I, oh man, I'm sorry, guys, I know I'm not usually this scattered, but I mean, I, I, I truly don't know where to go with some of this stuff. It's just, it truly reads like, and, and again, if you go back and read this, this article, this blog post, whatever it is he's doing, it genuinely reads uh, very similarly to the way, um, uh, oh man, uh, the Mormons approach their Book of Mormon, that, that the Bible cannot be relied upon in its entirety. We need to explain to you that that's not what God really meant when he inspired this, this, this passage. That's, that's not what he really meant. And I know this because I said so. And I just, it, it blows my mind. And so I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm scanning, as I'm talking here, I'm scanning through this because the guy, he, he keeps citing scripture, but he keeps saying, uh, well, okay, let me, let me, let me take a, a direct line here. Granted, this is taken out of context, but it, it does kind of sum up the whole thing. That's not what Jesus taught about the kingdom of God. He said it was right here on earth. He said one could enter it right now. Paul said that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit in Romans 14, 7. Jesus defined eternal life as, and this life is eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. And it, and it just keeps going on and on and on. And I'm trying to figure out when Scripture is, is clear that there is going to be a judgment where, to use the analogy that the sheep and the goats will be separated from one another, that God's people will enter into eternal salvation and, and eternal reward. And the goats, the, the unbelievers, will be cast into the lake of fire with the devil and his angels. The Bible is clear about this, and in no uncertain terms, so much so that I would argue, now granted, I'm not a biblical scholar, I, 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 don't, I don't read or speak, Aramaic, Hebrew, or Greek, so I can't, I can't speak with 100% certainty on how it's been translated from those languages, but just based on the number of times that it's been presented throughout Scripture, and the way it's been described repeatedly as a future tense sort of deal, 
I'm inclined to believe that it doesn't matter how loose we may have been with the translations from Greek to English. It's still hell. So I'm trying to figure out with, with all of this really being clearly spelled out, where it is that somebody comes up with this idea. So I I scrolled down and I found the actual link to their their main uh, page, tentmaker.org. And because uh, I'm trying to figure out, you know, what, what what do we got here? What what is this I'm looking at? And the you know the first the, the headline here on their main page is what is the victorious, glorious gospel of grace? Jesus, the chosen one, saves all. And at the moment, I got to admit, no alarm bells or red flags went off. Why I don't know. But then I continue to read, and and here's the 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 opening sentence of the actual meat of the site itself. The Bible, correctly translated, teaches Jesus Christ, the chosen one of our Heavenly Father, again, not the Son of God, not the Messiah, the chosen one of our Heavenly Father, will save the whole world. Hell will be empty when Jesus and his believers are finished. That is the growing view of biblical scholars, translators, Bible publishers, and ministers of grace. Hell is leaving the pages of many Bible translations. Jesus Christ is becoming Lord of all. And I'm sitting there looking at this going, really? I mean, really? So then I... I I'm scrolling down. They've got some YouTube videos that are posted here. You know how they kind of give you the, uh, the, the you know, the, the still shot and and then kind of the, the caption at the top, the, the title of it. And, you know, I'm, I'm scrolling through and I see, you know, love your enemies. Then I see rethinking hell. And I'm like, well, um, okay. And then the last one that's posted shows Bible hell is shrinking. Excuse me? So then I, I start kind of, I should say, I continue scrolling on down, and, and some of the, you know, they've got links to their, their blog posts and video vlogs and that kind of thing, and I'm looking at this going, well, because some of this, at least on the surface, makes a certain amount of sense, just just the the, the snapshot, if you will, so I'm trying to figure out, is this Maybe I maybe I missed something. Maybe this was an editorial article. Maybe this was some. So then I, I clicked on one called "The Fruit of Teaching." The fruit of the teaching of hell, the doctrine of hell terrorizes by Gary Amaralt. I don't know who this Gary Amaralt is, and I'm not even going to bother looking this up. But the long made short of it, simply put, is this: their ministry is that hell doesn't exist. That Jesus is going to save everybody. And while I haven't specifically found this in their their writings, the obvious extension of that is, therefore, you don't need to accept Christ. 
Because again, Jesus tells us that I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one gets to the Father except through me. So again, as we scroll through, we find some some uh, call-out headlines like Christian Hell Doctrine or Teaching Causes Suicide. Hell Christians are less compassionate than non-believers. How the teaching of hell terrorizes people, and, and a lot of what this is, is, is testimonies from people basically, well, some of them, I man, I'm... Uh, Good gravy. Some of this is testimonies from people just simply saying that, you know, look, I went through a really rough time or I know somebody went through a really rough time and I was depressed and the thought of spending time in hell made me even more depressed. And, and so I thought about killing myself and then I came across your teaching that tells me that there is no hell, so now I feel better. Now I'm not worried about going to a place that I don't have to worry about going to. And I'm looking at this going, you know, this is so incredibly dangerous. I I literally, I cannot believe how just amazingly irresponsible these people are being with the gospel. It just, it absolutely boggles my mind. And then there's, of course, some examples. And, and look, guys... What I'm about to cite to you is, is, is I understand why this would turn people off from the faith in general. Uh, one, one guy was saying that his stepmother lit a fire in a beaker and said, if you don't open your heart's door to Jesus and invite him in, God is going to put you into a fire much bigger and hotter than that after you die, and he will never, ever let you out of it. Now, here's the thing. A, that's true. We as Christians, we know that that's true. But when you're talking to a seven-year-old, there's there's better ways to present this than scaring the ever-loving crap out of them. Um, another one, uh, this guy says, my, my dad used to beat me with bamboo cane, repeatedly shouting, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, until the welts on my legs would bleed. And, I mean, and the rest of this goes on in that vein. But what it boils down to is, you know, look, I I can't, with any solid assurance to you, I can't change what your experience with other Christians, or I should say people claiming to be Christians, has been. I can tell you that if you look just at the Bible alone, you can see that what is being described in these examples is not how we're taught to deal with this stuff. For example, the, the, you know, uh, the, the beaker with the fire in it for the seven-year-old kid. Paul's pretty clear about, you know, look, we need to season our words with salt. We need to be compassionate. We need to teach, not scare people. 
It's not about scaring people. Now, look, again, I understand. Listen, my own testimony is that I accepted Christ because I was scared of going to hell. I didn't want to live. I didn't want to spend eternity in hell. And I get that. But I've also pointed out that that was a child's reasoning. I now understand that it's a very different thing from top to bottom. Yes, going to hell is a part of it. But that's not what the gospel is about. And so because so many people have had a negative experience with Christians, not with Christ, none of these people are describing that they've had any kind of negative interactions with Christ, but with individual Christians, which again, we've covered, folks, look, we are human, we are imperfect, we are broken, we are flawed, and sometimes we just screw up royally. And I can't make excuses for it. I'm not just saying, hey, live with it because, you know, we're only human. It's not what I'm saying. But what I'm trying to get you to understand is just because you've met a hypocrite that claims to be a Christian does not mean that everything they've taught you or said about the Bible is a lie. It shows that they don't understand Scripture. They don't understand the gospel. It's an education issue. It's a heart issue. And so if you run into anybody that wants to tell you that because Jesus is love, that therefore there will not actually be any eternal punishment then my question to them is, then what was the entire purpose behind Jesus being hung on a cross? Even if he wasn't the son of God, even if he was God's chosen one, I can't even begin to tell you where that rankles me. But let's say for a second that that's the case, that that Jesus wasn't God's son, but he was God's chosen one chosen to do what what was the purpose behind his ministry for all those years what was his purpose behind not resisting arrest what was his purpose behind allowing himself to be beaten unrecognizable what was his purpose behind hanging on a cross what was his purpose behind forgiving sin? What was his purpose behind raising from the grave bodily? What was his purpose behind spending time with his apostles after his resurrection before he ascended to heaven? What was the purpose of all of this if it wasn't to provide salvation, meaning to be saved from? And if what he was really referring to was some sort of massive tribulation that the Jewish people went through in 70 AD, 
why are we doing this now? What's the point behind being a Christian now? The whole thing's done. It's been handled. Because the entire book of Revelation is all about what took place in 70 AD, and it's all done. We're done. But the earth wasn't actually wiped out. We didn't lose, you know, all these people. There was no actual battle at Armageddon. It's all over with. Which means I don't actually sin when I drive too fast. Don't come to a complete stop at that stop sign. If I look up porn, I'm not actually sinning because it's all been handled. It's done. It's taken care of. Well, if there are no wages of sin, if there is no punishment for sin, then there is no sin. This whole thing falls apart on its face when confronted with even the, the most obscure piece of Scripture. So you know what? I'm actually going to change what I just said a few moments ago. If you are a universalist listening to this, I would love, genuinely love to have a conversation with you. And to be blunt, I would invite you to have a discussion with me about this on one of my podcasts. I would very much like for you and I to have a discussion about this that can be broadcast to the entire world. So if that's something you're willing to take on, go to my webpage, fill out the contact me form, text me, send me an email, I don't care, but you you let me know how to get a hold of you and we'll talk. I and I'm not trying to be confrontational. I really want to have a discussion about this because I cannot believe that what I'm seeing here is the whole picture. I can't, I mean, just given how it seems so completely contradictory to scripture, I cannot believe that there isn't a ton of ideology of yours that I'm missing somewhere. Because from where I'm sitting, it looks like the whole thing unravels the moment you pull on one string. So again, I genuinely would like to have a discussion with you if this is your point of view. Again, this has been the Sower Seed Pod podcast, and I'm your host, Gordon Dean. God bless.